Let's open our Bibles to the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. And today we shall look at the second chapter. Ephesians chapter 2. A precious passage of Scripture that it is important for all of our children to understand. A precious passage of Scripture that tells us how we were saved. A precious passage of Scripture that separates us from the other churches in this county. I am not so foolish or selfish. I trust before God to think that we have to have our own church. If there was a way that we could combine our efforts with someone else, we would do it. But when we look into God's Word, we find that those churches calling themselves Baptists, and we have to be Baptists, because John, Jesus, and the apostles were Baptists. How could we be anything else but Baptists? Those churches calling themselves Baptists don't understand how salvation occurs. And so here we are, separated, small, but God doesn't care about how small we are. He cares how correct we are. And so we want to hold to Scripture as well as we can. I want to read to you the first ten verses, and that's what we'll deal with in this first service. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, Through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God hath before ordained. That we should walk in them. The Lord will bless the reading of His Word. It will accomplish the purpose that He sends it for. And may you love every word that we've just read. Our Father in Heaven, we humble ourselves before this passage as well. We thank Thee that Thou hast shown us the truth of how we are born again. We thank Thee that Thou hast shown us that it is all according to the riches of Thy grace that we are saved. And we are thankful as well that you have called us to good works and that that ought to be affirmed constantly. Let us follow this passage now closely and open our eyes and ears. 
Let us rightly divide these words and sentences and appreciate the truth that's contained in them. We thank Thee for them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The first chapter told us that God had chosen us in Christ before the world began. So we saw election taught there. It told us that we were predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. We saw predestination by the will of God in that first chapter. That is our eternal phase of salvation. The eternal phase of salvation is that God chose to save some before He created the world and established the foundation of the earth. But if we read further in Ephesians chapter 1, we saw that God had made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins, which is the legal phase of our salvation, in Jesus Christ paying the penalty of our sins and delivering us from the condemnation we deserved by paying that price for us and freeing us from what we deserved at the hands of a holy and just God. As we proceeded through chapter 1, we came to the practical phase because in verses 13 and 14, the apostle mentions that when these Ephesian saints had heard the truth of the gospel of God's word, they believed it. After they believed it, they were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which was a gift from heaven, confirming that they were the sons of God, which was the earnest of the inheritance that they were going to get in the future. So we saw the practical phase of salvation, which is our conversion, by being instructed through the preaching of the gospel. But however, the apostle goes on to say that he was praying for these saints, that God would open their understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would be enlightened to understand the exceeding greatness of God's mighty power that was working in these Ephesian saints to cause them to believe. If you ever believe the gospel... It was because of the exceeding greatness of God's mighty power. The same power it took to raise Jesus from the dead is the power that it takes to get us to believe the gospel. He closed out that chapter by describing the fact that God had raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power. And He who filled all things was made full By us, His church. Jesus Christ sits in the throne of heaven for our benefit. What a glorious point of truth. But the chapter closed out with Jesus being raised from the dead. That is, being made alive again. And so with that thought in mind, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead and set in the heavenly places, and Jesus Christ being given life again, who was dead for three days and three nights, we come to chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we have a comparison here. Jesus Christ was dead, and God raised him from the dead and gave him life again. The Ephesian saints were dead in trespasses and sins, and God raised them from the dead and gave them life again. And you hath he quickened. The you there is obviously the Ephesians to whom Paul is writing. What do we know about those Ephesians? When we go over to Acts 19, what was the God of their city? Diana Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. There were many craftsmen in that city dedicated to making idols, 
to the goddess Diana in the image that supposedly fell from Jupiter. What else was that church known for? Witchcraft. Because when the Apostle Paul cast out devils, he did it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when some of their gypsy exorcists tried to do that, a man that was possessed of a devil stripped seven of them naked and chased those seven so-called exorcists out of the house. And when the city of Ephesus heard that, great fear came upon all men. And the word of God prevailed mightily because they realized that even the devil world knew Paul and knew Jesus, but didn't know their exorcists. Who are you? Don't you love that? Even the devils know our Savior. Even the devils know our apostles. But the devils don't know them. I would tell you a story right now, but it would take too much time. But I'll tell you just enough to make you irritated that I'm not going to tell you. There was an event a couple years ago where there was a woman possessed of a devil, obviously so, in St. Peter's Square. Pope John Paul II was called out. They were going to invoke the most powerful man the Catholic Church has. you got to go home and punch in to Google Pope John Paul II, devils, exorcist, cast out, whatever, and you'll get the story. Well, John Paul II sat down with that girl. I guess I'm telling you the story. <laughs> John Paul II sat down with this girl and tried to cast the devils out of her, ordering those devils out, and they laughed him to scorn. Amen. They laughed him to scorn. Right. You've got to read it to believe it. Don't believe me. Go read about it. You know, it wasn't published widely, but it was published enough that there's multiple sources on this woman laughing John Paul II to scorn because he has no power. Right. And that shouldn't surprise us because we read Acts 19. It shouldn't mean a thing to you except a modern-day confirmation of Acts 19. The Ephesian saints had been dead in trespasses and sins, worshiping the great goddess Diana, the image that fell from Jupiter, and involved in witchcraft. So much so were they involved in witchcraft that when this church and the men that were converted to form it brought the books and burned them before all men, That city had a bonfire that it had never seen before, and the price of the books was 50,000 pieces of silver. That is great conversion from witchcraft. They they had been dead in trespasses and sins. Devil worshippers, brethren. Devil worshippers, and we're no better than they. But when it says, and you, we're speaking of the Ephesians that had been devil-worshipping worshippers of the great goddess Diana in the city of Ephesus, which is modern western Turkey. And you hath he quickened. Oh, all of you children, what does it mean to quicken something? To make it alive. Who said that? Love your son. You two parents, I commend you, Daniel. To make something alive again. Now we know it means to make something alive again because it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It means to make something alive again. Now, the way I've always explained it to you, and it's a simple one, is you can cut your fingernail and it doesn't hurt very much because it's not very alive. It still grows, but it's not very alive, is it? You can cut it and it doesn't hurt. But if you go underneath that fingernail, does it hurt? What's it called underneath the fingernail? The quick. Why is it called the quick? Because it's alive. Stick a pin under it and you'll know why. Because it's alive. You say, why are you stressing this point? I'll tell you why. When I first became a pastor and moved to Greenville, South Carolina in 1984, for the first three months I was your pastor, 
we did not have an evening service. So one night I gathered a few brothers and we went and visited that large church across Wade Hampton Boulevard from Bob Jones University. We went to their evening service and we listened, we heard the man out. We were the only ones there with Bibles. He was a 60 year old THD and we read a few of his tracts that were in the pews. And when we left, I walked up to this older gentleman and asked him what Ephesians 2 and verse 1 meant. And you hath he quickened. And he said the definition of the word quickened was to be convicted. And you hath he convicted who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is why I stress the point. Don't you ever forget that we are comparing two resurrections from the dead. And when it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead, you can't convict a dead man. You can't help a dead man. You can't give medicine to a dead man. You can't heal a dead man. You've got to raise him from the dead. You've got to give him life. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the judge of the quick and the dead, what does the word quick mean? The living and the dead. Jesus Christ is going to judge those that are alive on earth and those that have already died. That's what the word quick means. And you hath he quickened. And we could turn to many other passages of Scripture, but that's throughout the Bible and it's very simple. It doesn't mean to be convicted. It means to be given life again from the dead. And you hath he quickened who were dead. This is another point where we differ. And we must understand this verse. And all of you young people need to understand this verse. It's because we understand this verse in the way that God has shown us that we can't be in unity with the other Baptist churches of this county because they don't understand it. Because it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead. We believe that. We believe that we were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. What we mean by that is that we had no love, no desire, no ability, no inclination toward God and the things of God. When we came into this world, we just had one nature. We loved the world. We loved fun. We loved to play. We loved to do whatever we wanted to do. We loved sin. We loved our lusts. We were dead toward God. Who was the first preacher to preach that man is not dead? The devil himself in the Garden of Eden. Remember? God said, Genesis 2.17, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Did Adam die physically the day he ate the fruit off the tree? How many years did he live physically? Close. 930. 930. So he didn't die physically that day, so he must have died in another way that day, because God told Adam, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, do we believe that that happened? He surely died that day. But Satan said to him, Ye shall not surely die. He said that to Eve and to Adam. Ye shall not surely die. So from the beginning, the lie has been preached. Man is not really dead. He's just sick. And all we have to do is let him come forward and invite Jesus into his heart, and he can be born again. But the verse says, And you hath he quickened who were dead. It doesn't say, And you hath he convicted who came forward. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let's look at that death. As soon as Adam and Eve took a bite out of that fruit, what happened to them? 
They died. What were, what were some of the effects that immediately took place? They were ashamed. They knew that there was something wrong. Something had separated between them and God. They were no longer innocent. They, were, they no longer had an open relationship with each other. They covered themselves in their feeble attempts. They didn't go to God. They didn't all of a sudden realize, oh, I'm convicted that I've sinned. I'm convicted about the fact that I just ate that fruit. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. They tried to make their own efforts of self-righteousness to cover their nakedness by sewing a few fig leaves together and making themselves little aprons. When God came into the Garden of Eden, where did they go? They went and hid in the trees of the garden. Now, does that sound like someone who's alive toward God? That is someone who's dead. They no longer had that open relationship with God. God was used to coming down and speaking to them in the cool of the evening. And now they ran and hid. Why didn't they run out there and grab the Lord and beg for forgiveness? Because there was no conviction in them. They were spiritually dead. When the Lord confronted them, and He did, he did find them rather quickly, didn't He? He's pretty good at hide-and-go-seek. Does He see everything at all times? Before Adam called out and said, What do you want? Did God know where He was? When God said, Adam, where art thou? Did God know where he was? Yes, of course. What did Adam do? When God confronted him about his sin, he blamed God's creation of the woman. When God confronted the woman, what did the woman do? Blamed God's creation of the devil. That is spiritual deadness. There is no inclination toward God. There was no repentance. There was no confession. There was no apology. There was nothing like that. There was, give us another chance and we'll earn, we'll earn back your favor. There was none of that. It was just blame God, hide from God, and shame with each other. That is spiritual death. And from that point on, we trace it throughout the Bible. And the Bible tells us that Adam begat children in his own image and after his own likeness. They were corrupted with that nature, and all of our children are born that way. The Bible says that we are conceived... In sin, Psalm 51 and verse 5, it says the wicked are estranged from the womb, speaking lies. You do not have to teach a child how to lie. They are liars from the day they're separated from their mother's womb. They're conceived in sin. They have a sin nature, a nature that is opposed to God. It's dead. It's dead toward God. No love, no desire. It doesn't want to read the Bible. It doesn't want to obey. It doesn't love holiness or the things of God. It wants its own way in life. It is selfish. It is depraved. And it follows the devil. And that's spiritual death. And we believe it. So when we look at this first verse, and it's short, but it's one of the important verses of the Bible. And you hath he quickened. God quickens sinners into life. He makes them alive again. He resurrects them. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 6. I'll read it to you. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus explaining to Nicodemus about the new birth. The word quickened means to give you life again. Your parents gave you life the first time by the grace of God. When a man and a woman come together and God blesses their effort to result in conception, a life is formed. 
that life remains in its mother for nine months approximately and comes forth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. What do you get from your parents? A flesh nature. I, I got a body from my mom and dad. And my parents are sitting here this morning. They got together and they made this. I know, it's not much, but don't make them feel worse than they already do. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So I got a body. I got a soul and a spirit. What did my what were my soul and my spirit like? Did they love God? Or was I a liar from my mother's womb? Was I conceived in sin? Did I have a sin nature? Was I polluted and profane? Did I love God? No. Did I love His Word? No. Did I want to obey my parents? No. Did I want to be a good boy all my life? No. Did I want to listen to the teacher in school? No. Did I want to work hard in my classes? No. Did I want to cut the grass when I was supposed to? No. Did I want to wash off the lawnmower when I was done cutting the grass and put it back in the garage in its proper place? No. (laughs) My dad's too kind. My dad's a gracious man. He knows. And you can say amen, brother, because you were just like me. (laughs) If dad said don't play with Super Balls around windows, what was the best place in the whole county to play with a Super Ball? Around a window. Has he had to repair a few? Why? Because Johnny was dead. Johnny did not want to obey anyone. Ask. And some of you are just another name. Because we were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you disobey sometimes, Caleb? Because you have a heart inside you that wants to do it your way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what I got from my first parents. Are you with me? I was born once. You were born. All of you were born once. And so you got a body and you got a soul and a spirit. But there was no desire for God in that, in that spirit or soul. And most of the world is not born again. So today, the biggest religious service that's going to take place is the Super Bowl in Detroit, Michigan. And they are oh so excited about their religious service that's going to take place. You know, that last song we sang and the last verse of that song was speaking about their temporal pleasures. But that's the most important thing to them today. They've been hyping it for months. They only have a football season to get to the Super Bowl. They're always hyping something in the future. They have no love of God. There is no mention of God ever. And I mean that absolutely without an exception of any sort. They love sin. They love their flesh. They love the pride of life. They love the lust of the eyes. And they love the lust of the flesh. And that's all they do. They fulfill those lusts day after day after day. They do not care about the Word of God. They do not care about the God that sent His Word. They do not care about His Son, Jesus Christ. They do not care about holiness. They don't care about heaven. They don't care about anything except themselves. And that is being dead in trespasses and sins. The Ephesians were like that, and you and I were like that, brethren. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what you got by your first birth. But, that verse goes on to say, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Because there's a second birth, and it's called being born again. Don't be confused about being born again. It's the same as being quickened. Because quickened means to make alive again. Your first birth made you alive once. 
Your second birth makes you alive again in a different way. It makes you alive spiritually. And, and where does that birth come from? From your parents? No. John said, it is not of the will of man. Your parents cannot do anything for you to help you get born again, to help you get quickened. It is not of the will of man. And most religions depend on the will of parents to get their children born again. What are little Catholic babies, what do little Catholic babies get from their parents? Christening or a baptism. They're taken by their parents to the Catholic priest and they have holy chrism put on their foreheads in the form of a cross by the thumb of the priest. And so they're baptized. And so it's the parents that are there thinking that they're getting their children born again into the kingdom of God. But it's not the will of man. That's baptismal regeneration. Along comes the church of Christ and says, we don't believe in baptizing babies to get them regenerated. We'll do it to adults. So Alexander Campbell's Church of Christ baptizes adult believers and they tell the believers that when you come up out of the water, your sins are going to be washed away and you'll be born again. That's baptismal regeneration. That's what Lutherans believe. That's what Presbyterians believe. Read the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Red Book in your pew. They say, a Presbyterian, of course, doesn't want to come out and say we're just like the Catholics. What the Presbyterian says is that by baptizing a baby, we put them into the covenant of God and guarantee their future regeneration. What's the difference? It's their baby baptism that gets them regenerated. It's just, it's just the timing of the matter. That's, that's baptismal regeneration. But in our day, in our city, in the pulpits of this city, Preachers are preaching that if you'll come forward, you know, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're not sure that you'd go to heaven tonight, if you were to die, then raise your hand. And then he, you sing a couple more verses of just as I am. All churches do it the same, except they're getting away from just as I am. And then he says, if you want to get saved and know that you're going to heaven tonight, come forward and invite Jesus into your heart. And when you come forward and say the sinner's prayer, when you tell God that you're a sinner and that you're trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you will be born again. Then you will get that second life. Now think about that for a minute. If you will come forward, sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, if you will bring forward your flesh, that you got from your parents, your flesh body and your flesh, soul, and spirit. And if that flesh, soul, and spirit will say something, will say our little formula, you can be born again. You can be quickened. You can be made alive. You, a dead man, can come forward and do something and get life by something you do. That's what's being done in the other Baptist churches in our city. We deny that. We reject that. We despise that. That is blasphemous. That takes from the Lord Jesus Christ what is rightfully His and gives it to men. We call that decisional regeneration. Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, all of them are baptismal regenerationists. Jehovah's Witnesses, Church of Christ, Mormons, they're all the same. Baptismal regenerationists. You are regenerated when you contact the water of the baptistry of that church. But the Baptists are different. They have another sacrament. 
And their sacrament is the preaching of the gospel and inviting Jesus into your heart. If you as a dead man will come forward and do something, then God will regenerate you and give you another life. Called decisional regeneration. If you'll make a decision for Jesus, then you can be born again. But that's not the order here. The order here is, and you hath He quickened. God made you alive first, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now let's think of a few more verses. Think about them with me. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It amazes me to listen to men try to explain that. A man in the flesh can do something in the flesh to get into the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, that's a capital S. That is the Holy Spirit of God. That which is born of the Holy Spirit of God is Spirit. They say that a man in the flesh can do something to get into the Spirit and have a new man that's a spiritual new man. Let's ask the Bible and see what it says. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says that the flesh and the carnal mind are enmity against the law of God and cannot be subject to the law of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. So how are you going to tell a man in the flesh to please God in order to be born again? You can't do it. What does John say in John chapter 1 and verse 13? Which were born, not of blood, so it wasn't by racial descent from the Jews, nor of the will of the flesh, it wasn't by decisional regeneration, because that would be the will of the flesh, wouldn't it? All of you that are sinners and want to get born again, come forward and exercise the will of your... There's only one thing you've got at that point. The flesh, in order to have a spiritual rebirth. This is very important. We cannot fail here. Our children must understand this difference. How can you have someone in the flesh come forward to get in the Spirit when the Bible says it's not of the will of the flesh? Nor of the will of man. Parents can't take their children to a baptismal font of any size in any church and help them get born again. Let's hear it again. John 1.13 Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. But of God. Amen. How about John 3.8 The wind bloweth where it listeth. Do you know what that means? You haven't used the word list in the last week, have you? Unless you have a list. But a list and a list are two different things. The wind bloweth where it listeth. That means the wind blows wherever it wants to. Wherever it wills. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the... That's a list. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. It is by the will of God. It is by the will of the Holy Spirit that men are born again. And you don't know from where the Holy Spirit came and you don't know where the Holy Spirit's going. You do not direct the Spirit of the living God. The the Spirit of the living God directs us. And it's the Spirit of the living God that regenerates us again. And until that happens, you're worthless when it comes to the things of God. We could preach to you until we were blue in the face, and I do most every Sunday, and it still wouldn't do any good. Can we prove that from a Bible? John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Unless you're born again, you're not even going to be able to see what I'm talking about. That Jesus Christ is king, that he has a kingdom, that you ought to be part of it, and that you ought to obey him. You won't even be able to recognize it. You won't even care. You'll just sit there and think about what you're going to do this afternoon. And God have mercy upon your foolish soul if you're thinking about the Seattle Seahawks and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, yeah, I know who's playing. What else does the Bible say? No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Amen. Abraham told the rich man, I'm sorry about your five, he didn't really say that, I'm sorry about your five brothers, but I'm not going to send Lazarus back from the dead. Because even if I sent Lazarus back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. You've got to be kidding me. But they think that by giving candy to children to get them on a bus to take them to church, in the Jack Hiles form of things, they can get them saved. You've got to ask Brother Keith and Sister Crystal sometime about their experience in that system. Abraham said, if we were to send one back from the dead, they would not believe. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't get excited about the reading of God's Word, they're not going to get excited though a man came back from the dead. This is what we believe. We believe in John chapter 8 and verse 43 when Jesus said, Why cannot ye understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words. Could they hear his words audibly? Were their ears working well enough? Had they cleaned them in the last month or two so that they could hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? But they couldn't hear them with any understanding. They did not recognize that they had the Son of God standing in their midst, preaching them the pure truth sent down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit without measure upon that man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why can you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my words. Four verses later, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. They had not been born again, and until you're born again, you can't understand anything. Listen to this one. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man... When did you get the natural man? First birth. When your parents had you. 16 now? Close. Very close. 16 years ago, your parents had you and you're, you're, you're natural. All you are is a natural body and a natural soul and spirit. All you care about is the things of nature, the things of this world. And here's what it says about, and I was, same here, all of us. Parents too. Sister too. Brother especially. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Right. He won't receive them. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. I've got to get that verse correct. Hold on a second. 1 Corinthians 2.14. It's an important one. This is what you got by your first birth. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. They are foolishness to him. Why? Because he's dead. Their foolishness to him, neither can he know them. He cannot know them. He cannot figure them out. No matter how high his IQ, no matter how many years he spends in school to be educated, he can never figure them out. He cannot know them because they are spiritually discerned and you need that new part of you that you get when you're born again that is built, that is, that is 
formed by the Spirit of God and that is spirit and that understands the things of the Spirit of God. Because the next verse goes on to say, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. When you are born again, the Lord Jesus Christ says, live. You don't hear it here. But I'll tell you, when Jesus Christ says live, something happens. When Jesus Christ says live, the Holy Spirit of God forms inside you a new man. And that new man is a spiritual new man. We're going to read about him in two chapters. Chapter 4 tells us he is created. You have a new creation that takes place inside you. He is created in righteousness and true holiness. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says live. And the Holy Spirit of God forms a new man inside you instantaneously. It's a creative work of the, of the Spirit of God. It doesn't take up, it's not a process. It doesn't take time. You don't even know when it happens. Because it's when God chooses for it to happen. Right. You don't know from whence the Spirit of God comes or where He goes. All of a sudden you have a new man with inside of you and you start thinking differently. Because you have a new man, a spiritual man. That is being born again. Your parents gave this to you. God gives a new man to you. And it's called the new man. That's what it means to be born again. You were dead. So you need to be born again spiritually. Your parents gave you physical life. God gives you spiritual life. When you were born physically, you came out and you couldn't do anything. They had to wrap you in a cloth because you wanted to dirty yourself. It took you a year to figure out how to walk. It took you two to figure out how to potty. It took you three to figure out how to talk. It took you four to ride a trike. It took you five or ten, depending on your ability, to ride a bike. And so you did more and more with your physical life. But your parents gave you that physical life by the grace of God. You were born once, and it developed. God gives you that second birth. You're born again. And so you have a new man inside of you, and it starts to develop more and more as it's taught more and more. And that's growing in conversion. As you hear more and more truth, you want to obey it and you want to do it because you've got a new man inside of you. And that's what that first verse means in Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's go read a definition of being dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 2 and 3 are going to tell us what it means to be dead. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. Your lifestyle was just like the rest of the world. We're not talking about eating, drinking, and sleeping and working. We are talking about loving sin, being foolish, being hateful, hating one another, living in malice and envy. Titus chapter 3 that was read to us. We're talking about those things. You walked with the lifestyle of this world. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Do you know who you obeyed in the past? The devil himself, the prince of the power of the air. In the air of this room, there is power. There are powerful beings outside of your vision that are in this room. There are God's holy and elect angels protecting us. And there are fallen angels that are called devils in the Bible that are out to destroy us if they can. But we are protected by God's holy angels. They have a prince over them. 
His name is Apollyon and Abaddon. He is the prince of the power of the air. We obeyed him in the past. Your old man still obeys him. Every one of you that is honest with yourself and honest with the Lord knows that you still have inside you that old man that still thinks the way of the devil. You still love sin, like sin, and want to walk in sin. You still think the world's a pretty exciting place to be, and so we have that warfare going on all the time. All you young people, I know about that warfare. I hate that warfare. Do you know one good thing about death? The war ends. The war ends. You want to get excited about death? The old man dies. And when my body's raised up again, the old man doesn't come with it because it's glorified into a spiritual new man, according to 1 Corinthians 15. That should make death exciting. We're not going to pull out any red Kool-Aid or anything like that. But it should make death exciting because we can shed the old man. Sorry, kids, for getting you excited about a drink, but ask your parents about it when you get home. Ephesians 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You had a lifestyle like everyone else. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We were obeying the devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience are the children of the devil out there who are doing his bidding at all times. They are committed and sold out to disobedience. There's no obedience in them because they're spiritually dead. So there's no good thing. It's all bad. It's all disobedience. It says in verse 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. The word conversation there doesn't mean talking. It means living. Your lifestyle, the word conversation there is lifestyle. Among whom also we all had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh. We did whatever our bodies wanted to do. If we wanted to overeat, we overate. If we wanted to overdrink, we overdrank. If we wanted to oversex, we oversexed. I mean, whatever the case is, whatever your body wanted, you gave into it. Fulfilling the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Every crazy idea that men came up with or we came up with, we wanted to do it. We didn't care if it pleased God or not. We didn't care if God hated it. We were going to do it because we were going to do things our way. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Do you know what the children of wrath are? They're those vessels of wrath in Romans chapter 9 that were formed by God from the same lump as us and who will be vessels of wrath under the mighty power and glory of God in their judgment. The reprobates. We were no different from a reprobate by nature. That's why it says by nature. And I love it when it tells us, when it uses words like that to help us, we were by nature the children of wrath. So we're not talking about an illegal transaction in Ephesians 2. We are talking about a vital transaction that changes our nature. Whenever I use the word vital, is that a hard word? When EMS arrives at an accident, they immediately check the people that were in the accident for their vital signs. What does a vital sign mean? Life, that there's still life there. So when I use the word vital, I mean that it involves life or our nature. This is what this passage is talking about. We had a verse read to us from Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 that said, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
That's how we're born again. In the Bible, it's called being quickened here in Ephesians 2, being born again, John 1 and John 3, being begotten again, James chapter 1, a couple of other places. It's called a new creation. It's called being created, verse 10 in this very chapter. It's called a resurrection in a couple of places. Resurrection and regeneration are synonyms in the, in the Bible. You can read it, Matthew 19, verse 28, because to be regenerated is to be raised from the dead. You were gen- what did your parents do to you when you were born the first time? They generated you. They generated you. That's why the difference between them and you is called a generation. We're getting deep into the English language right now. Deep. We don't need Hebrew and Greek. It's hard enough to figure it out in English. It's not hard, though. Right. Your, your parents generated you. So when you're born again, it's called regeneration. What does re mean? To repeat it, to do it over again, because you need to be born, you need to be generated again, generated spiritually, because your parents just gave you a physical body and a dead soul and spirit. But when God regenerates you and you're generated again, you become a child of God because you have a God-like nature inside you. Do you know what the Bible actually says about that thing inside you? It is a partaker of the divine nature. Lord in heaven! Praise your name. The divine nature inside me. I am a partaker of the divine nature by being born again by that father. Praise the Lord. This is the truth of the gospel and how we're born again. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. We've read the first three verses now. Verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened (coughs) who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it goes on to describe exactly what death and trespasses and sins was. Living the lifestyle of the world, obeying the devil, and fulfilling all the lusts of our flesh and of our mind. There, is there any good things mentioned there? What about the boy that goes and sells boys? Uh, boys, uh, boys don't sell Girl Scout cookies. They, they steal Girl Scout cookies. But girls sell Girl Scout cookies. When girls sell Girl Scout cookies, how does that fit into that passage right there? They're fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. There is not one good thing done by a dead man that ever pleases God. Because they're doing it for false motives. What's that little girl doing it for when she comes to your door and looks so precious and innocent and you can't imagine she's ever sinned in her whole life and probably never will? When you look at those big eyes and she's so scared, she's white, her knees are knocking, and she just holds out her form for you to fill out so that you can buy some Girl Scout cookies. What's she doing it for? She wants to win a prize, and she wants to outdo the other little girls in her brownie troop. That's called the pride of life. And I'm not picking on the little girl. I'm just telling her she's no different than I am. I'll tell you what I was thinking when I raked some poor widow's yard of her leaves in the fall in Michigan. What's she going to give me when I finish? Sorry. You know, and if you're better than me, and you did it because you loved the Lord, you did it out of faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit was motivating you to rake her leaves, God be praised that you were born again so early. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference between being born once and being born twice. You know, the Baptist churches in our city, they know the words, they know the lingo, they know about being born again, and they know you've got to be born again in order to go to heaven. They know you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God, But they don't understand those words because they put them in the same verse and they say, if you want to see the kingdom of God or see it first, then get born again. 
They confuse things, but they know the words. We can't confuse them. God has to regenerate us. What does that mean? To generate us again. We have to be born again. We have to be quickened, which is to be made alive again, because we died in Adam and we were born dead. And when I say that, we still have a brain, still have eyes, still have a body that works, but we don't have anything spiritual toward God. We do not love the things of God, nor desire His Word, nor want to live a holy life, nor appreciate Jesus Christ. When we hear about Jesus Christ, we just nod right on out. And when you see someone that nods right on out when they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, it tells you something. Because the preaching of Jesus Christ is a savour. It is a sweet smell to God in heaven. Because everyone that He has regenerated, this is the general rule of the Bible, Everyone that he has regenerated, when they hear the preaching of Jesus Christ, it is a savour of life and a life because they hear it and they say, Amen. I want to obey that Savior. I love that Savior. Those that aren't born again, they hate that Savior and they want to crucify him and kill the man that's preaching him. And they did it to Jesus and the apostles. But I want to tell you something that the preaching of the gospel is never the savour. And I told you this last Sunday. It is never the sweet incense to God of death unto life. It, the preaching of the gospel is the savour, the incense to God, a sweet smell in his nostrils of death unto death. If I send my man and preach about my son Jesus Christ to you, and you despise him and you hate him, it is a fitting judgment for you to go to hell. It is proof of your death. But when you rejoice, it is proof of your life, and I gave you your life. It's a sweet smell to God. But never is the preaching of the gospel the sweet smell of death unto life. Are you following me when I say that? Because the gospel never does that. The gospel can only affect a person that already has life. Children, never forget what I've taught you. I know where you're going to school. You're going to a great school. Except in this matter. They don't have a clue. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Ever heard those words? And they're going to tell you how to get born again. I'm telling you how to get born again. And there's not a thing you can do about it. God's going to do it. God regenerates us. There were times in my life where I hated going to church. My parents made me anyway. I'd be sitting here the whole morning on Super Bowl Sunday. I'll tell you what I'd be thinking about. I'd be reeling through all the statistics of all the plays and all that's going to happen. I can't wait to get home. I'd be thinking about the Super Bowl. There was times in my life where I didn't go to church because I didn't want to. There were times in my life where I didn't love the Bible. I didn't read it and I didn't want to read it. I'll tell you something. There's a part of me that doesn't want to be anywhere else but here. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to read anything else but that. And there's a part of me that gets so happy when I'm with God's people and reading that, that it's the pure and lasting treasure and joy that we sang about in the last song this morning. Do you all know that spirit? Do you have that part of you? You've been born again. If you love being with the people of God and hearing the Word of God and hearing about the Son of God, our Savior and our King. There's a period at the end of verse 3. Let's go to verse 4. But God. Why do we have that but there? Because we better have a but there. 
Look at those first three verses. Dead in trespasses and sins, walking in the lifestyle of this world, after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Now that's a whole lot of problems that we had by our first birth. Thank you, mom and dad. That's a whole lot of problems we got by our first birth. But God. Thank you, Lord. But God. The Bible starts out, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. There was darkness upon the face of the earth, and the earth was without form, and it was void. And God said. And when God says something, things happen. We do believe in the big, big bang theory. God said it, and bang, there it was. And when you're born again, it's the same way. But God, okay, why did He do it? Why did He quicken us? But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Amen. Amen. Those two verses are wonderful. But God, if He would have left you the way you were from your first parents, you're on your way to hell and one terribly dysfunctional life, and you would never do one thing toward God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, what, what people does He quicken? We're in chapter 2, so you can't forget chapter 1. Remember, there's always a context to every verse in the Bible. Who does He regenerate? Those that He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Those that He predestinated to be His sons. When did they become His sons? What phase are you talking about? He predestinated to adopt them as sons in eternity past. Jesus Christ paid for their adoption on the cross. However, when I had that dead nature inside me, I wasn't a son of God. There wasn't anything about me that looked like a son of God from a nature standpoint. Oh, I was by covenant, and I was by Christ's death, and I was positionally in Jesus Christ, but by nature I was still acting just like a child of the devil. That He regenerated me. But God. He made me a son by putting a nature inside me that's just like Him. It's a partaker of the divine nature. I partake of two natures right there in that second row. My mother and my father. You partake of the natures of your two parents. And I partake of a father in heaven who regenerated me. Do you understand all this? Is it simple? Is it as plain as can be? Is it reduced to one, two, three, and ABC to you? He put a new nature inside of me so that now I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I love the things of God, and I love God. That's part of my adoption. That's when I became a son of God vitally. Because now I have a living principle inside. Not just a principle, a living thing inside me. A new man. And then when I hear the truth of the gospel and it tells me I am a son of God, I rejoice that I'm God's son. And there's going to be a day He's going to own me before the whole universe and you. Before the whole universe, all men and all angels, fallen and good. He's going to say, you are my child. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Unbelievable. But believe it. That'll be the final phase. He'll pull your body right out of the ground. It doesn't matter what you did to it or what they did to it after you were gone. What the worms did to it, it doesn't matter one bit because He's going to put that body back together and you'll be united in heaven, body, soul, and spirit and you will be a son of God forever with a spiritual glorified body just like the Lord Jesus Christ. But God 
who is rich in mercy. Who does he do this to? To those that were elected and predestinated in chapter 1. That's who he does this to. It is not an offer. Being born again is not an offer. Jesus never said, would you like to be born again? Just come forward and do something. No one could do that. He told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus Christ was different. Jesus, We know that thou art a man come from God. Well, the rest of the people didn't. What made the difference? Nicodemus was born again. Nicodemus had eyes to see, but he sure didn't understand very much. Did you, did you remember the last few verses? If I've told you of earthly things and you can't figure them out, what are you going to do when I tell you of heavenly things? Nicodemus was a THD. Do you understand that? He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. He understood the Old Testament, but he did not understand about being born again. And so it is today. There's THDs that don't understand about being born again. And so us little babes have figured it out. How have we figured it out? God has opened our eyes, our ears, and our heart to see it from His Word. That God regenerates us by His Holy Spirit according to His own will, in His own timing, and we have a new man implanted within us, and then we hear the Gospel, and then we respond to it, and we start to walk with little steps, and then we take bigger steps, and pretty soon we're running if we're diligent with what we hear. And that's how we're born again and then converted by the preaching of the Gospel. When Lazarus was in the tomb, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Did he say, would you play two more verses of just as I am? Lazarus, what do you think? Would you like to know that you could have lunch with me today if you'd come out of that tomb? Was was it an offer? What would an offer have done to a dead man? Lazarus, come forth. What does it say next? You know, the guy was all wrapped up in burial clothes. And Jesus told those servants that were around him to go loose that man. Let him go loose. And so men are born again and they hear the preaching of the gospel and they're loosed. I'll tell you about a man that was bound up. It was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He was bound up. God had regenerated Cornelius before we get to Acts chapter 10. Because what does it tell us about Cornelius? He prayed always. Was he praying to the great goddess Diana and the image that fell from Jupiter? Was he praying to the God of heaven? Were his prayers heard? He gave alms to the people. Were they accepted by God? His Girl Scout cookies were accepted, weren't they? Are you following me? Because God accepted them as an act of righteousness from a righteous man. He feared God with all his house. Now, does that sound like somebody in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3? To fear God with all his house? Here's Cornelius praying to God always. Do you know why? Because he's bound up in his burial clothes and he doesn't know. He doesn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't know about salvation. He doesn't know about this chapter of the Bible. He doesn't know what the Lord wants him to do. And so he's praying to God always. And an angel appears to him and says, You send for Simon Peter. He'll tell thee what thou oughtest to do. In order to be born again? No, he's already born again. In order to please the God that is his Father in heaven. And what did he do when he met Peter? He heard about Jesus Christ and he was baptized. Because when we're baptized, we give God the answer, help me, of a good conscience. Where do we get the good conscience? By being born again first and then hearing the gospel with understanding to know that Jesus Christ has paid for all our sins. And then we're baptized as a testimony of what God has done for us. This is the new birth. This is the truth of the gospel. 
This is why we meet here and we don't meet with the other 500 Baptist churches in Greenville County. I would be happy to let someone else preach and go do something else if it wasn't for God having called us to believe this message of truth. But God, oh, that's the changing difference in all of this. It doesn't say, but the preacher, but the sinner, but the methods, but the bus, but the candy, but the lock-in, but the motorcycle gang, but the contemporary Christian music. It's none of that. It's but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, for with He loved us. And how could He love us when we were sinners like that? Because He had chosen us in Christ, and He saw us legally positionally in Jesus Christ from before the world began. Isn't that what we learned in Ephesians 1-4? That He chose us, that we, would, that we should be holy and without blame for Him in love. That's how He could love us, because He put us in Jesus Christ. But then we needed another operation done to us. See, He loved me before He made Adam and Eve. Do you under, did you know that He loved you before He made Adam and Eve? Before the foundation of the world. You weren't even here. But once you got here 6,000 years late... Once you got here, He had to change something on the inside of you. And that's when we're born again. Because until He changes that nature, we're not fit for heaven. Do you remember when I preached on adoption? The limo pulls up to the orphanage of the sinners of this world, dead in trespasses and sins. The father in the, in the limo, who's God our Father in heaven, chose that He wanted to adopt some sons. That's the eternal phase. He goes into the orphanage and He picks out some of those little wretches that are spitting against the glass. That was me. He looked in there to see if there were any that wanted to go home with him and his limo to the great mansion. And I spit on the glass. And he said, give me that little bastard. Give me that little bastard because I'm going to make him a son. And he went to the desk and they said, you got to pay for him. That little bastard's got to die. If you don't like my language, I'm sorry. Just block your ears if you can't figure out that it's in the Bible. That little bastard has to die. So we have a pretty stiff price for that little guy. He said, what is it? The precious blood of your own son. And my father paid the precious blood of his own son. I was legally purchased to be his son, but I was fighting and screaming. He threw me in the back seat of that limo. I found a couple more of his little children back there, and we got into a fist fight. I was going to bite them claw. I was going to pull their hair. And I was still spitting at the glass between the front seat and the back seat because I needed a new nature. And he turned around the seat, and he said, Jonathan, live. And I had a new nature. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the children that I, that I hurt. And I tapped on the glass and said, you don't need that anymore. Let me talk to you and walk with you. Let me, let me hear more. I was born again. And he starts telling me. And he put some other children in the back seat that were called apostles and prophets. And they told me all about where we were going. They told me about what he had paid inside and what they had all said about me. And one of these days soon, he's going to hit park. And he's going to open the door and I'm going to get out. And he's going to say, this is yours because I loved you. And I'm going to say, what can I do for you for the rest of my life? That in the ages to come, he might show 
His loving kindness to us through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Do you know what that word even is for in verse 5? That word even is an emphatic word in the English language. Meaning God who is rich in mercy for His great love for with He loved us. Even in the extreme case of us being dead in trespasses and sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Now, I'm about out of time. and There's a couple places here that you want to hear about. I know. I do too. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Now, I am an obedient slave to context. I understand the context of this passage to be vital. That we are talking about a change in nature and a vital transformation of a child of God. So when it says I've been quickened together with Christ, when I was made alive, I was brought into a vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are like this. Now, I know that there's a legal relationship, but I don't find the legal relationship taught right here. I know that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. I know that because Jesus was raised from the dead, we'll be raised from the dead also. But this isn't talking about our physical bodies. This is talking about my new man, and I was quickened together with Christ. I was made alive. I am a partaker of the divine nature, and so is the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians chapter 3. There is a relationship between Jesus Christ and me right now that is called a mystery in Ephesians chapter 5 that is the same that it's a mystery that's pictured very obscurely by a husband loving his wife. It's a mystery. I am a member of Jesus Christ's body. I am vitally connected to him. And so there is a vital union of my nature is like his nature. His nature is in heaven. He's been revived from the dead. I've been revived from the dead. We are tied together vitally. There is a connection between us. I am not left alone in the universe. I am like Him in a vital union. And I have been raised up together with Him and made to sit together with Him in heavenly places. Jesus Christ was raised up physically from the dead and set at God's right hand. But He and I are together. We're partners of, we're part, I am a part of Him. We are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. We have a vital connection to Him. That is how I understand these two verses that say that we've been quickened together with Christ. We've been raised into heavenly places and are sitting with Him in heaven. See, I'm not there personally. But I have such a close connection between my new man and Him by being a divine partaker of Him that He looks at it that way. I know that I can interpret this many other ways and I've spent a whole lot of time looking at all of them. I can easily say that we are positionally in Jesus Christ and jump to our legal position in Jesus Christ who is seated in heaven. But see, when I read the chapter, I don't see he's not talking about our legal connection. He's talking about being quickened. And the Bible, the Bible does explain that we have a relationship to Jesus Christ that is vital. I am a partaker of the divine nature. I have a new nature that is created in righteousness and true holiness. that is created after the image of Him that created it. Just like Jesus Christ, I am tied together with Him. He loves me as a member of His own body. 
I am tied to him vitally. We, we have something going on between us. And I'm going to tell you, I don't usually say this very often because I believe the Bible teaches us that we're to make things as plain as possible. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, I tell you of a mystery. And that mystery is our close connection to the Lord Jesus Christ like a husband and his wife. I'm the wife. And I'm vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.23 says we are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We are tied to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says I have the mind of Christ. Colossians 3, which is one of my favorite passages on this point, says... Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. Verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now there's, that's going into the final phase, when he's going to take me body, soul, and spirit into heaven. But right now I have a vital connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are partaking of the same divine nature. Nature! Nature! That's a vital union. While I'm not there physically, I am there by the vital connection to the Lord Jesus Christ because we partake of the same divine nature. I'm not in heaven personally, I'm not in heaven physically, but I am in heaven with my divine nature that's part of me because my new man is in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ as well as here. My new man is tied that way together with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we read in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were quickened together with Christ. That's the first thing. I was made alive and connected to the Lord Jesus Christ vitally. Then we were raised up together, Jesus Christ and me, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this happens to a man, not when Jesus rose up into heaven, but when we're born again. Because the timing of this chapter is the timing of being born again. When I'm given that new nature and I become a, a son of God by the vital entity inside me called the new man. That new man is so closely connected to Jesus that I'm on the throne with him. I'm in heavenly places with him. Now, Paul would say it this way, and I use this passage so often, we use it again in the second service. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem and to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the better covenant. How am I come? How, how am I come? Not how will I come, but how am I come? Because I am vitally connected to a kingdom that's going on in heaven. I am tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a member of His body. Vitally. And hath raised us up together. I've heard those verses 5 and 6 explained many different ways. If I was was forced to go to another one, I'd say it's illegal. But then I can't do that because the context tells me it can't be legal right here because I'm talking about something that happens when you're quickened, when you're dead in trespasses and sins. I know that Jesus is the first fruits and I'm going to follow him. Some people say this is going to church. That you've been raised up and sitting in heavenly places because you go to church and this is as close to heaven as you can get on earth. I've heard it explained that way. Commentators will say this is your progressive sanctification, that you're getting closer and closer to heaven and more and more like Jesus. No, my new man isn't getting more and more like Jesus. (laughs) Sorry. My new man is already like Jesus. My new man is created in righteousness and true holiness and is a partaker of the divine nature. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The ages to come. How long is that? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Who am I quoting? 
It's a long time. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Chosen before the world began. Paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. Regenerated in time by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a period at the end of verse 7. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 is teaching us this. Salvation is the gift of God. It is not teaching us that faith is the gift of God. How do we know that? Because in verse 9 it says, not of works. Whatever the it is that is the gift of God, and whatever the that is that is not of yourselves, it is not of works. There's no confusion here about faith and works being different things. It is the totality, totality of salvation that is the gift of God, because that's what the Bible tells us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, that gift of salvation, is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You didn't get it, you didn't earn it, you didn't take it, it's the gift of God. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Because God knew that if there were works involved, men would boast about it. Even if it's just inviting Jesus into your heart as so many claim, they can make a boast that they made a choice that their neighbor didn't. They made a choice that their brother or sister didn't. For by grace are ye saved. The salvation is by grace. That's what was taught up in verse 5. By grace are ye saved. And we're talking about being born again or being quickened. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. That gracious salvation is not of yourself. It is not of the will of man. It is not of the will of the flesh. It is of God. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. God will not let man have any boasting in his salvation. It says through faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now here's how an Arminian reads this verse. Look at it closely and listen to me. Here's how an Arminian reads it. For by faith are ye saved through grace. And though it depends on ourselves, it is still the gift of God. That's how an Arminian combines the words. For by faith are you saved through grace, and though it depends on ourselves, it is still the gift of God. Total confusion. Here it says, for by grace are you saved, and we were already told that that grace, described in verse 5, 8 can't be understood without verse 5, 5 can't be understood without verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins when God quickened you, and that's when you were saved by grace. Your faith has nothing to do with that whatsoever. So when it does say through faith, what role does faith have? Let's back up. We are in the book of Ephesians, and Paul's writing to us. We read that in verse 8, so we back up. Where's the, where, where did Paul mention believing so far? We back up to verse 19, where he says that he wanted you to know the exceeding greatness of God's mighty power in you that believe. Because believing is a result of God's almighty power that quickens you from a state of death and trespasses and sins. So we know from 119 that faith is not the means of getting that gracious salvation. Faith is the means of the evidence of it. Faith is the proof of it. Faith is the assurance of it. Faith is how we know it's happened to us. But keep reading. Back up to the next time he mentions belief. And it's the only two times. We come to verse 13. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. For by grace are ye saved. We are born again by the grace of God according to the will of the Spirit of God without our participation or cooperation at all. What does through faith mean? It means that after we were born again, we believed. After we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which confirms that we're the sons of God, and it's the earnest of our eternal inheritance. Faith is the vehicle by which we please God and obtain the Holy Spirit and the confirmation that we are the sons of God and we know we've been born again. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith is the vehicle that we know we've been born again. Because if you believe, God has exercised His exceeding mighty power towards you. If you believe, He's given you His Holy Spirit. If you believe, you've been given a down payment after you believed. Because see, belief does something. Belief, God gives you His Holy Spirit in the confirming ministry of the earnest or the down payment of your eternal inheritance. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Faith tells us that we've been born again. Faith proves we've been born again. Faith is the sign and the evidence of a child of God. It is the gift of God. And it's not of ourselves. Faith is of yourself. Faith is something you do when you hear the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation as it is in verses 13 and 14. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For, verse 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God is the worker. There's not a soul worker. There's not a soul winner. God is the worker. We are His workmanship. We are the result of His work, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not created in Christ Jesus because of good works. Not created in Christ Jesus because of faith. But created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That little guy in the back seat, God regenerated him and did a work on him in order for him to do some good works. To be kind to the other children in the back seat. If you're still following my pitiful little orphanage and adoption illustration. For we are His workmanship. God is the one working. We are the result of His work. We are created. You've never been involved in creation at any point in time. You never will be. God is Creator and He's Creator alone. And we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It doesn't say God hath before ordained that we would walk in them. God hasn't guaranteed that we're going to walk in good works, but He has regenerated us so that we would walk in good works. And as our brother read this morning in Titus chapter 3, Paul told Titus, This is a faithful saying, and I will that thou affirm these things constantly that they which have believed in God be careful to maintain good works. That is our duty. And so what's the bottom line to all that we've heard this day? But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, for with He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. It is pure grace that He would reach down into that mess of verses 1 through 3 and regenerate any of them. But He regenerated us for a purpose. And that is why we have met together this morning. The purpose is that we would walk in good works. We want to look like the children of God. We want to live like the children of God. We want to please our Father in heaven. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And we'll take up the second half of the chapter in our second service this morning. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. And may we realize 
what He's worked in us and work it out with fear and trembling and show those good works that He's called us to. Amen.